Hello, and welcome to the Made to Lead podcast, a show where we tell the personal and professional stories of amazing people of African descent who are leading in their own way. I'm your host, Aziz Garuba, and on each episode, I interview a dynamic individual and discuss their achievements, challenges, dreams, and aspirations, and the lessons they've learned along the way. These candid conversations are meant to showcase their superb talents and leadership philosophies with the hope that it inspires you because you were also made to lead. If you're listening for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show. Also visit our website, madetolead.co, for more information about each episode. My guest today is Saba Kwao. He is an amazing entrepreneur who grew up in Montreal, built his career in Toronto and London in the UK, um, and has done a lot of prod- uh, projects uh, across the world as far as Bucharest, Bangkok, New York, Tokyo. Uh, he's a creative director and he helped launched, uh, launch the Toronto Raptors and uh, Palladium, uh, a game and TV platform for EA's Virtual Me. Uh, he launched the Rogers Wave Identity, completed a lot of major rebranding and signage um, and wayfinding uh, for the CN Tower. Um, and he's been a business strategist and consultant. He's, he's done some amazing projects with the likes of IBM, KPMG, Levi, uh, Norton Rose Fulbright, Suncor, a whole bunch of, 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 of companies. And uh, his latest venture is a company called Wealthy Works Daily. It's an investment and financial literacy platform for kids between ages zero to 18 uh, and their families. And they're, they're currently doing a, a capital and launch in Canada and the U.S. Uh, this year. Uh, and they're looking to grow internationally in the U.K. as well. Uh, so and, and also looking at, at launching in other countries uh, like Australia, India, the Philippines, Nigeria and Mexico. Um, and it's 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 an interesting platform that combines e-commerce, content marketing uh, and financial services built around the whole concept of contiguous news networks. Uh, and their goal is to build a very strong financial future for generations in uh, of new investors locally, nationally, and internationally. So thank you for joining us, Saba. I'm very happy to, to have you on the show today. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. So um, what we wanted to get started with is, you know, sort of walk us through that, your career path and, and how you ended up uh, founding uh, Wealthy as well. Okay. Um I've worked in marketing for about over 25 years, and a lot of it has been leveraging new technology in order to make marketing work. Um, so that being central to companies launching new things and leveraging new technology has had the major influence on how my career has progressed. And uh, I would say a couple of big milestones, the run-up to the technology boom uh, really had me working on a lot of you know new platforms for big companies, and coming from a creative and a business background gives me a unique way to approach projects. So if someone ever asks you know what is more important, your creative degree or your BCom or your MBA, I'd say you know the creative degree allows me to always start off with a blank slate and not be intimidated by an empty space. But then once you've generated your ideas, you focus down and you bring all your business strategy to bear to execute on a project. So uh, I would say there, a significant influence on how I built my career was, you know, I went through the dot-com meltdown. 
and lost pretty much everything from very large companies defaulting on payments to me, having to lay off all my staff and then, you know, developing a certain mistrust of the business cycles. Mm. Um, that would have, uh, you know, definitely had an impact on me in terms of how I decided to approach business thereafter. And I ended up um, a couple of years after the dot-com meltdown moving to England. And while I was there, I co-founded Film Minute, the International One Minute Film Festival with uh, another Canadian guy I know who was living in Bucharest. I was in London. We built it out of Europe. And uh, 15 years later, it's still going. But it taught me how to build digital campaigns simultaneously in many countries. So if we had, you know, 25 films in the festival and they came from anywhere from 15 to 19 countries, we would build 15 to 19 campaigns to market those films in those countries to draw them to the site. And then from there you would, you know, escalate and try and grow um, an audience in, uh, wherever you were picking up audience. And this was only possible because of digital media and social media at the time. You know, YouTube had just started a couple of years right. earlier and it really influenced us in terms of understanding what we could build digitally with content. That in turn leads to an insight about how to build audiences around content. And as I was doing some other things um, in IP commercialization and then helping build a digital arm of an agency, I said, you know, if you can basically build content to run continuously, that really is the rhythm of how the internet has influenced how to reach an audience. You don't know when they're going to be there. You don't know what platform they're going to be on, but you have to be present. And the core insight was about the only companies, organizations that know how to create content continuously are newsrooms. So if you can think of the launch of CNN in 1980, and at some point news became consistent and breaking news and live all the time, well, basically social media and digital media put that on steroids in terms of what's in the moment and live. And so news organizations have always evolved in that path. And I said, what happens if you build a continuous newsroom, but built for a marketing purpose. Hmm. That led to newsrooms. That led to the kinds of content I built for you know, a lot of regulated industries, doing this for law firms, management consulting firms, banks, financial services companies. And as time passed, I said, you know, we built these great projects, but the way marketing works, clients come and go. I said, what happens if we build a project or a product where we own it? Hmm. And financial services was by far the most successful work that we did and working with a couple of partners, we said, you know, let's build this platform that basically opens up investment accounts for kids, has this long timeline, allows us to accumulate data and insights in order to maximize conversion. And that's what led to the launch of Wealthy Works Daily. And the other significant thing about it is you have to build this really big. You're building a financial service. You don't want to build it from, from scratch. So having done a lot of corporate work with banks and financial services companies, we said, let's build it in partnership with that infrastructure. And that really dictated the approach that we're taking today. Very nice. Very nice. So, I mean, it's when you think about financial services or starting a, you know, a financial services type company, it's, it's probably one of the hardest, most complicated industries to get into. Yeah. How did you, how did you end up in that space, you know, being coming from you know a marketing a digital marketing uh, a content production background mm -hmm. into saying I want to conquer the world of financial services, you know, I would say 
the biggest outcome of my MBA program was looking around the room and realizing that finance had all the power. <laughs> you know, a CEO kind of defers to the CFO. Yeah. Who makes the ultimate long-term decision in terms of managing risk and investment? And I came out thinking, I have to learn to pitch to finance because that's where the power is. I'm not interested in being a financial guy, but you realize, you know, if you can sell it through finance, you go a long way in terms of getting companies on board. So you learn to pitch the stories very differently. You learn to pitch the projects very differently. And then having picked up banks and uh, insurance companies as clients, I got to know the business a little bit better. And I said, they sit on so much value and so much infrastructure that isn't necessarily fully utilized. Right. And realizing that we can build a financial service company, but you know, we don't have to build every piece from scratch. The security, the investment products, the anti-money laundering provisions, all the things that a bank knows how to do well, we said, it's not even at capacity. Let's basically negotiate a portion of that. And that really is the reason that you can enter into a category, bring innovation, but recognize the existing infrastructure that you can leverage. Excellent. So uh, let, let's walk back a little bit and, and talk about your, your upbringing mm-hmm. you know, and, and your heritage. Um, you know, where did you grow up? What was it like growing up? Um, how did you get through, through school? Uh, and, and ultimately, I guess, as you mentioned to, to your MBA um, uh, before, you know, going into the, the entrepreneurial route. Okay. Um, my parents are from Ghana and Nigeria, and they met uh, in the 60s at McGill University. They were both at McGill. So my brothers and I were both, were all, all three of us were born in Canada. And, um, but we moved back to Ghana soon after you know, my father had finished his uh, education. And we moved back to Ghana, but it didn't last long in terms of you know, I think they hit a certain amount of frustration of going back home and deciding, you know what, this isn't really what we want to do. And we ended up moving back to Canada, but we did it bit in stages. My father came back to Montreal first. And while he was back in Montreal, um, my mom and my brothers and I, we moved to Nigeria, then we moved to Scotland, and then we ended up in Montreal. Now, interesting part of that story is um, the first place we lived uh, when we moved back to Canada was on the uh, First Nations Reserve, the Kanawake oh, Reserve, wow. because my father was a doctor on that um, in that region. And you know, at five years old, you don't really think that oh, this is odd. This is where we live. But you know, my brothers and I were the only black kids in the entire First, First Nations, Nations elementary school. Wow. Um, and of course, being the only black people on the reserve, you know, everyone knew who my father was, etc. But there were a couple of things that didn't occur to me until much later. My father is a medical doctor, and I thought, well, maybe he couldn't get a job anywhere else. Wow. So you start to, and I probably didn't realize this till my 20s. I said, how is it that we ended up there? And then you start to think of the context of, oh, what is it that those people experience because as a little kid, you're like, oh, no, it's, you know, First Nations, this is Canada. Of course, it seems normal to right. you. And then you realize that they're outsiders in their own country. So these things, real, you know, kick in much later as you get older. And then we eventually moved into the city and, and, and in Montreal. And uh, um, that's why I started, you know, continued elementary school, went to high school and university. Um, but 
I would say that had a big influence in my thinking just about being an outsider and then being an outsider among outsiders. Right. You know, that doesn't leave you. And, uh, and I ran into a lot of those kids again when I got to grade seven because, you know, we ended up in, at a boys' school and some of them from, you know, First Nations and Mohawk kids ended up there and like, oh, don't I know you? And you, know, you haven't <laughs> seen these people for five, six years. But that sort of, you know, got me there and I, I did my B-comic Concordia. And uh, I didn't like the jobs, you know, when you get to the on-campus recruiting. And I said, I don't like these marketing jobs. And I went to speak to my advertising prof. And he said, well, you're kind of this odd mix between a business guy and a creative guy. Because I told him the kinds of things I, I like to do creatively. So he sent me to see one of his friends or a couple of his, his colleagues who were, you know, photographers or d- design industry. And I learned about, oh, there's this thing called design. So rather than go find a job, I went back to school for another four years and did a design degree. Oh, and wow. Then 10 years later, did my MBA. So this was this bookending of two business degrees with the creative degree in the middle. But that's how I came there because, you know, it was uh, Professor Simpkins who had said to me, he says, well, you know, if you can create and if you can do the business side, you can write your own ticket. I never forgot that. Mm. I can write my own ticket. And nice. that's really what I do now. Just a quotable quote. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, with, with that upbringing, with that background, um, how did you, how did you, uh, come across, uh, leaders or, or types of leaders that, that influenced your life and, and what kind of lessons did you learn from them? Okay. So I, I didn't recognize that there was such a pattern to my leadership influence until you had sent me a couple of the questions that you wanted me to think about. Yeah. And, um, it's a mix between, you know, I would say, seeing Malcolm X speeches and a way of speaking forcefully with intensity and intent, Mm. big influence. Um, My grandfather, during the Biafran War, renounced his night commandership in protest of the British government. Mm. And, you know, he was, um, you know, therefore revered on both sides of a conflict for standing up for principle. Never forgot that. Right. Um, I think about... uh, Pierre Trudeau, and there's a, a very famous interview of him um, in a media scrum uh, being challenged during the October crisis about martial law being implemented in Quebec because there's this uh, separatist and terrorist um, uh, situation going on. And he, he utters the phrase, just watch me. Mm. These things stick in my head in terms of, oh, no, that definitely developed uh, or had an influence on my perception of leadership. Um, There's some visual things that cued me about leadership. If you think of uh, Tommy Smith and and John Carlos at the Olympics in protest with their fists up or Muhammad Ali deciding, you know what, I'm, I'm as a matter of principle, I'm not going to go and fight for you and losing his title and having to win it back. So there's a kind of intensity around conflict. And when things are on the line, that I said, that's when leaders are proven to be leaders. Anything else is easy. When you see those people come out of that and build leadership in those contexts when stakes is high, that has influenced me completely in terms of that's what leadership is. Everything else is easy. Excellent. And, and you know, on that point, like, have you, where have you experienced, um, I guess, the kind of conflicts um, that, you know, probably have helped you create a, a leadership approach in, in your own way? Um, I probably haven't had that intensity of conflict, so, right. <laughs> you know, but you encounter resistance or challenges. Yeah. So 
when I started my company, my first company, my first marketing company, I'd done my degrees back to back. I was 26 years old. I'm like, mm, I'm not going to take a job. I'm going to just build something myself. Right. And no one takes you seriously at first. You're this 26 year old kid and you have truly no experience, but you, I'm starting a company. And so people, oh, you know, give up this little company idea. Why don't you come work for me? Right. No, just watch me. <laughs> so this defiance oh. would drive me in terms of how I built that first company straight out of design school and it worked. And even though we hit a wall at some point with, you know, the economic conditions of the dot-com meltdown, that was my approach to this is how you do it. You, you, you sort of draw your line in the sand. Um, when we built uh, Film Minute, I've never built a film festival before, but hey, there's some different conditions in and around technology. Um, my partner, John, um, had just come out of working uh, in telecom. So he and I said, you know, th there's something here. Yeah, we don't know anything about film festivals, but we know a bunch of other things. We did it. Um, 15 years later, it's still running, and I've learned so many things from it. So similar to the banking thing, how do you end up you know, opening up a financial services company? I'm like, well, so this outsider's perspective and a bit of defiance drives you through. Right. Amazing. I like that just watch me, oh, yeah, uh, that. Monica. That, that's really good. One of my favorite. That's Church really good. <laughs> um, you know, and, and through your experiences, uh, we, all, we, we all hear about the importance of uh, things like mentorship or, or sponsorship. Have you had mentors in your, in your career, uh, even as an entrepreneur, particularly as an entrepreneur, because you're getting into spaces that you may or may not know anything about the industry. Mm -hmm. um, talk to us about some of the mentors that you've had along okay. the way. So there was a pattern to the kinds of mentors that I've had. Um, I would say, uh, you know, starting that first company at 26 and into my early 30s, the mentors tended to be very senior executives mm. who would look at me and they're like, you remind me of my son or you, you know, you weren't competition of them in any way. And they would take an interest in you and say, you know what, I'm going to send you to see my colleague at that company, or I'm going to send you to see my senior vice president and you present to her or you present to him. And mm -hmm. so I found people two generations above me were my best supporters and networkers and would give me this kind of guidance. Right. So that was one big one. The second one um, when I talk about success patterns in business, uh, I have found that executive women, sort of mid-career or senior level, have consistently mentored me and helped shape the projects when I would land them in a large in a very large company. And these are very conservative companies that I've you know you've been in, yeah. clients, and, yeah. you know, management consulting firms, law firms. But it was the executive women who you ended up not in a clash with in a much stronger collaborative working relationship with, mm. and you would learn a lot. And there was this true collaboration that would help move a project forward. And that's where your successes come from. Mm. So it was an interesting pattern between much older men and executive women that have definitely shaped. And then there's some individuals along the way. Um, I can think of, uh, there's um, uh, an order of Canada architect, Bruce Kuwabara, who, as, you know, I, I, I worked on a project with him and when we launched Palladium, we were the marketing and the design side and he was the architect and that's where I met him. But Bruce is one of the most creative people I have ever met. And as an architect, he is so well-rounded in terms of his understanding of business and culture and sports. Um, so he's someone who, from time to time, we have a good 
discussion about different things that, that we're working on. Um, so there's a there's a kind of you know creative plus other thing mm-hmm. kind of person who you know they they give me these pointers as we go, um, and they also tend to be very international in terms of not making assumptions that you're going to do everything you are doing in Canada. You, right. You get up and you go and you do things. You Excellent. Know, wherever Excellent. wherever that market is, and with. With, of course, mentors and, and sponsors, you, you get to learn things about not just them, but also about yourself. Um, what are some interesting things that you've learned about yourself that you're either working on now to improve or that you've discovered along the way um, uh, throughout your path? Um, you know, I'm, I'm driven by a kind of impatience. Get on with it. I want to do it myself. You know, I, I've, I think I've been that way since I was little. My mom would talk about my impatience with other people. But at the same time, I had to learn to build teams. You cannot build based on your hours. You will never be able to build at scale. So I had to sort of get over a kind of impatience when I wanted to get things done and learn to collaborate and learn to build teams. So that's a big one. Um, The other thing is, you know, if I had explained to you the influences um, and there's certain kind of stakes that those people are in, I'm probably pretty comfortable with intense situations and I might tend to ratchet something up to intensity because that's often where I perform best. You know, maybe there's a gentler way for <laughs> Maybe I, it's the African in you. you know, but I thrive extremely well under pressure. That's Excellent. truly when I'm at my best and that's when I said that's when it counts. Everything else doesn't matter. If right. I can really drive through a situation when things are difficult. So, but, but that's, that can wear down your team. If you're trying to always operate at that intense level, not everything should have to feel like it's part of a conflict. Right. And that's a very hard thing for me to sort of, you know, resist. So if I, if I encounter opposition, you know, my first instinct is crush them. Hmm. Not necessary. (laughs) (laughs) So, so given that, um, you know, what would you say is, uh, you know, what would you, what would you describe as one of your biggest obstacles that you faced? Um, and how did you master or overcome that? Okay. So I have two teenage boys. One of them lives with me full time. Um, I've had, you know, I'm a single parent the majority of the time. Mm. Um, and, uh, one of my kids got quite ill, um, in terms of faced a life threatening illness And while building a startup, I took pretty much a year and a half off. Wow. And that combined with the the ongoing divorce literally killed the business. Um, You know, you think of the first few years of a business and you've got to keep it on that vertical growth trajectory. And in my absence, the business uh, flatlined and caused a lot of conflict within the, with the partners and the other management uh, members of the management team. Um, But, you know, my kid being that ill, that came first. And I realized that I've built for the last uh, 12, 13 years, my business is built around my kids. So there's a certain luxury to being an entrepreneur in that I've been able to manage my time around them. And when you have a kid that ill, uh, you also have to keep balance with your kids. One kid's very ill. One kid feels invisible as a result of the other kid being very ill. And I had to sort of full-time parent 
while paying attention to how to rebuild my career and rebuild a business from scratch. Um, but if I wasn't an entrepreneur, I don't think I could have done it because I needed that flexibility to be there for the boys when they needed me there. Um, and now going forward with Wealthy Works Daily, you can see how the influence of building stability around children is central nice, to my yeah. being in such a way that I'm, I said, you know, I hope no one goes through what I went through, but everyone sure as hell needs to think far earlier around how to build stability for kids. kids. You know, in a lot of ways I've had to rebuild, you know, what is going to be their uh, future and their, you know, I've got to pay for their education in the university, et cetera. I had to rebuild a lot from scratch. That's really, really good. Very, very good story. And, and, and thank you for sharing that. Cause I, I think, you know, there might be people that have similar circumstances where they have to make a trade off between mm-hmm. a career or family or, or two, you know, things that mm-hmm. may not necessarily be mutually exclusive. Um, and, and have to recognize that, yeah, although you pay a cost now, there is a benefit, a future benefit that you can't put a price on yep. uh, in the future. Okay, so uh, we're going to go into what I call a, a rapid fire round. So I'm going to ask you um, a couple like some one line questions and, and you've got about 10 to 15 seconds to answer them. Okay. Um, so what book are you currently reading right now? Huh. I'm reading a book called uh, Three Women and it's about women and their relationships and their lives. Um, and it was recommended by a friend. Um, and when I read the back cover, I said, not something I would have ever picked up, but fascinating because it really digs into culture and gender dynamics from a point of view that I would have never seen. Okay, cool. What's your uh, favorite productivity hack? Oh, my favorite productivity hack is probably working all nighters <laughs> because it gets quiet. Yeah. You know, one or both of the kids are asleep. Uh, there are no interruptions. And I find that time between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., if I'm really under pressure, I can really get a lot done. Um, it's not sustainable, so you can't do it too many times in a row. I used to be able to do it all the time. In <laughs> yeah. now, you know. Not anymore. But, but, you know, knowing that you can do that and yeah. knowing that you have a zone that you can work in creatively or strategically, you use it. Cool. What is your favorite place to escape to? I think when I'm... Uh, when I'm doing something creative with my kids, you know, they're both creatively inclined and but they're in a different way than than what I do. Right. You know, animation and illustration, stuff that I don't do. So when I have to learn something with them, I just find it's interesting to guide them and learn from what they're doing at, All the, at the same, same time. time. Yeah. Because I, I end up with a takeaway saying, okay, I know some of this seems familiar, but a whole bunch of it doesn't. I find that really nourishing. Cool. Um, and who would you say is your biggest cheerleader or supporter? I would say my my co-founders, the wealthy, okay. so uh, Hillary Doyle and Don West. Uh, one of them has, you know, knowing my family, they both have known my family situation and still went all in on co-founding this business with me, saying... We understand this framework of chaos that you have to manage, yeah. but 
together, we actually have built a powerful management team. And I would say they both had to be cheerleaders for me because my situation was so difficult. Um, and then I think also, uh, uh, you know, there are, when I was going through one of my kids' illnesses and managing the divorce, there are friends around me who all had to step up because you cannot make it as a single parent with that much chaos around you without people stepping up in some key way, even if that means buying groceries <laughs> because you just couldn't get out. Good. And, and the last question, if money or resources were not an issue, what would you do? I would start 10 startups, not one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and it's not because you're going to build them yourself, but you encounter ideas where you want to support someone, um, nurture their idea, lend them some expertise, help them network, help them build it, and put these things out into the world. Putting new ideas out into the world is the most satisfying thing you could possibly ever do. Brilliant. Sabah, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate your story. Um, and uh, we hope that it inspires the next generation of entrepreneurs just like yourself. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Made to Lead. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please share with others. Also take a moment to leave a review as well. This helps us improve and also get discovered by others. You can also support by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show and by visiting our website, madetolead.co. If you would like to be featured or know an amazing person of African descent whose story would be inspirational to others, I'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, madetolead.co slash getfeatured and send us a note. As you continue on your own leadership journey, remember that if you don't spread your wings, you'll never know how high or how far you can fly. So stretch your feathers because you were made to lead. Thank you.